Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning and welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church this morning. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Maddie and I serve right here on our Bonnie Oaks campus as a part of the team here. And I'm excited to get the chance to open God's Word with you this morning. If if you've been around for the last couple of weeks and months, you know that we're working our way through this series called Red Letter Words. We're taking a look at some of the statements, some of the sayings, some of the teachings of Jesus. And we're asking this question, how do those things influence shape and ultimately change our lives. And in, in reality, there's probably no, no, no thing that's more important that we could teach from the pulpit than the actual words of Jesus. So this morning, as we wrap up this series, we're gonna take a look at what Jesus has to say about heaven. Now, there are a lot of things that we know a lot of things that we think we know and believe about heaven, some of which are true, some of which are exaggerated, and some of which are completely false. Now listen, this morning we're not going to get this full treatise on heaven that will answer all of our questions, but what we will look at, what we will study together, what are some of the most important things that Jesus has to say about heaven? So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. If you're using a device, go ahead and open up your Bible app. You can open up the Silverdale app. There's a Bible contained within that app, but I want you to turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 1 through 6. If you're new to faith, or maybe you're just new to church, or maybe you're just, just here checking us out and trying to figure out what is this whole Jesus thing about. Let me tell you a little about the Gospel of John. It's written by a guy called John, hence the reason it's called the Gospel of John. John was one of the 12 guys that hung out with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' disciples, which means that he spent right about three years of his life following Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus, hearing everything that Jesus had to say. John calls himself with, with some humility in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved most, essentially. These words that we're about to hear from Jesus were said to John. John sat in the room. John heard these words that Jesus had to say. So as you turn to John chapter 14, we find ourselves in the midst of a, of a really emotionally charged time. Right? John chapters 1 through 11 has documented right around three years of the life of Jesus. And then we get to chapters 12 through 20, which take place over the course of about a week of time. It's what we know as Passion Week. And this part of John's gospel is known as the Passion Narrative. It, it, it's the time that, that takes place around the events of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And as we enter into the story in John chapter 14, Jesus has already told his disciples that he's going to be killed. He's told them that one of their closest friends, one of those disciples was going to betray Jesus. And he's looked at Peter and he's told Peter that there's going to come a point when you turn your back on me. And that's going to come much sooner than later. 
And Jesus is in this place of distress, this place of trouble. He knows that in about 12 hours time, he's gonna be hung on a cross. And in less than 24 hours, he's gonna be in the grave. These are the last moments with his disciples. These will be some of the last things that they hear him say, some of the last things that they watch him do. Now, all of Jesus' words, they carry great weight, but these words, some of his parting words, carry that much more. Because last words have a tendency to be lasting words. Now, when it comes to heaven, as I mentioned earlier, there are some common misconceptions that people have when it comes to heaven. And listen, some of these things have come about out of a direct opposition to the Christian faith. But some of them have come about out of, out of a, maybe a, a personal need for comfort or peace when we've lost someone that we love and care about. And maybe it's come as a, as a way of trying to find some answers to, to questions that maybe we don't feel like we have answers to. But all of these, these things leave us with more questions than they do with answers. I, I put three of them at the top of your outline. I want to walk through them pretty quickly. The first one is this. You can go ahead and write this down, that good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. That's all that's required of us to get to heaven is to do good and to be good. But the problem with this is then who decides what is good or what is good enough? And sometimes some things that are good here may not be good there and something that's good there may not be good here. So for example, and this is, is a little bit of a silly example. In this culture that we live in, tipping is considered a good thing, right? And all of our servers said, amen. However, if you were to travel to Japan, tipping is considered rude. So who gets to decide what's good? Does culture decide what's good? Does context decide what's good? And how much of that good do we have to be to be good enough? It leaves a whole lot more questions than it does answers. Here's the second thing that we'll often believe is this, that it's arrogant to believe that there's only one way to heaven. That to believe there's only one way to get to heaven is arrogant and there must be multiple ways to get there. And the problem with this is how do we know which way is the right way or which ways are the right ways? And what if me with a sincere heart to reach God and to get to God, what if I try multiple ways but none of those are the right way? How do, how do I know how to get there? How do I know what way is the right way? Well, if, if I do something out of sincerity but it's the wrong way, do I still go to hell? Like, what does that look like for us? It leaves way more questions than it does answers. And here's the third one I want you to write down this morning. It's this, that whatever works for you is true. Whatever works for you, that's what's true. That whatever you wanna believe, whatever you wanna think is good and true, that, that works. Whatever you think it takes to get to heaven, however good you think you need to be, whatever things you think you have to do to make yourself right with God, whatever you do works for you. Now, the problem with that is that as of today, there's currently about 8 billion different ways to get to heaven. There's 8 billion different answers to that question that whatever works for you is true. So how do we actually get there? How do we know what matters? And then even for us as, as a Christ follower, right, our approach to heaven is often misguided at best, right? So just last night, I officiated a wedding. It was a time of celebration, the bride and groom, everybody's smiling, right? Mom and dad are glad to get rid of him. They're glad to get married. Like, it's just a wonderful, wonderful time. And you know that over the next couple of years, known as the honeymoon period, right, everything's going to smell like roses, right? No one goes to the bathroom. Nobody burps. It's all just a beautiful, beautiful thing for the next five to seven years. And then what you know, if you've been around Silverdale for any length of time, is that anytime our pastor teaches on marriage, he says that while opposites attract, eventually they attack. 
that while opposites attract, eventually they attack. And at some point, these people may find themselves in a marriage where they're just kind of holding on. They're not really having this fruitful marriage. It's not really an enjoyable marriage. It's not really a good marriage. And they're just holding on, believing and hoping that something better will come along one day. And maybe kids will fix it. Maybe a career change will fix it. Maybe more money will fix it. And we just white knuckle our way through this marriage, hoping and believing that it's gonna get better one day. And that's often how we approach heaven. We go through life and we just white knuckle this Christian life. Like just believing and hoping that one day it's gonna get better, right? There's this promise of heaven that's out there and if I just hold on long enough, if I just get through this life, then surely heaven's gonna be much better than this and I'm just gonna hold on believing that something better is ahead. And it's a misguided approach to what heaven is. So understanding that what we often hear from our culture about what heaven is, isn't accurate. And even for the Christ following the room, humbly understanding and admitting that maybe we don't have it all figured out either. I want us to look at what Jesus says about heaven in John 14, one through six. Let's read it, it says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas, I love Thomas because he asks all the questions that I want to ask. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And in these six verses, Jesus tells us the way to heaven, the truth about heaven and the life that we can experience in and through heaven. And he makes this statement in verse six where he tells us that all of that is found in him. Look at it, he says this, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life and no one gets to heaven except through me. No one is made right with God except through me. So what I wanna do this morning is take that statement and show you what Jesus teaches us and disciples that we can know and be confident in. So if you're taking notes this morning, go ahead and write this down. It's the first thing, it's that we know the way. The first thing Jesus teaches in this moment is that we can know the way to heaven. That the way to heaven, it's not some secret that's only for the most holy or spiritual of us. It's not this process of trial and error until we figure it out, but that an actual fact We can all know the way to heaven and he tells us that he is the way. We can all know how to be made right with God and it's in and through the person of Jesus, that Jesus is the way to heaven. And because we know the way, we can have peace and we can have trust and we can have faith as we walk through life. Verse one says this, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God and believe also me. The disciples find themselves in this place of, of turmoil, Right, Jesus is telling them, I'm gonna leave you. I'm not gonna be here that much longer. Peter, their bold, their fearless leader, he's told, hey, you're going to turn your back on me sooner than later. And then they're all probably sitting in the room thinking, well, which one of us is it gonna be that's actually gonna betray Jesus? They're fearful. They've left everything to follow just Jesus. And now he's telling them that he's gonna leave them and their hearts are troubled. Jesus looks at them and he says, you believed in God, now believe in me. 
Now listen, I need you to hear this because we can miss this in our English language, but in the Greek, the sentence structure, the, the tenses that are used, Jesus is actually saying this. Keep on believing in God and keep on believing in me. In a roundabout way, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, hey, you've believed in me to this point. You left everything to follow me. You left your families, you left your careers, you left everything. You've walked away from everything that you've known to follow me. You've believed in me to this point. Keep on believing in me because I am the way. Other people, other teachers, other religions may come and try to persuade you otherwise. But keep on believing because I am the way. And this is often one of the greatest sources of tension with the Christian faith. Because Jesus makes an exclusive statement when he says, I'm the way. He's not saying, I am a way. It's an exclusive statement. He's saying, I am the way, the only way. The end of verse 6 says, no one gets there except through me. And the Christian faith is exclusive, but it's not exclusive because of who it lets in. Right? John 7, 37 teaches us, if anybody thirsts, let them come to me. John 3.16 says, whosoever believes shall have eternal life. The Christian faith is exclusive not because of who it lets in, but because of how you get in. It's not a spiritual checklist. It's not coming from a Christian home. It's not doing good or being good. How we are made right with God, how we get into heaven, if you would, is only through the person of Jesus. Jesus alone brings people to God. He's not a way, he is the way. He isn't showing us the way, he isn't pointing to us the way. He takes us by the hand, he brings us into a relationship with himself and he leads us by the hand. Jesus is the way, the only way. Knowing the way isn't about concerning ourselves with a place. It's not about being concerned about getting to heaven one day, this location or this destination. We don't even need to obsess over how we get there. We need to focus all of our time and all of our attention on the person of Jesus and knowing him. We need to draw close to him. We need to know him. Just a week or so ago, my family and I, we took a, a beach trip. We headed down um, to take a vacation, headed down to Panama City, actually. And as we headed out, I plugged in my uh, address into the GPS, right? And, and it pulled up on my GPS and it showed me that I could either go down 75 and through Atlanta or down 65 and kind of around Birmingham, right? So naturally, I chose Birmingham because I avoid Atlanta at all costs whenever I'm going anywhere or any place. However, as I was driving there, right, I've got it plugged into my GPS. As I'm driving there, I find myself every couple of miles glancing down at my GPS, right? We're, we're driving, my kids are watching their iPad, I'm chatting to my wife, but every couple of miles I'm glancing back down at my GPS. Even though I know it says it's 78 miles before I make my next turn or get off the exit, I keep looking at it because I don't want to miss my exit. I don't want to miss my turn. I don't want to drive past it. I don't want to add any more time to the trip that we're about to take. I got three boys all on the four. A seven-hour trip to Panama City took us 12 hours. I did not want to add any more time to that trip by taking a wrong turn. And it, it prompted a little bit of anxiety, right? Like, because I didn't want to go the wrong way. So I'm constantly looking at my GPS. However, when I hopped in the car this morning to make my way here, I didn't pull out my phone. I didn't plug anything into my GPS. And there most certainly wasn't any anxiety. Now, why was that? It's because I knew where I was going. I knew how to get here. I knew the way. And as cool as a cucumber, I took my time and moseyed on over to the church. 
because I know the way. See, when we know the way, there's no anxiety. There's no stress because we know where we're going and we know how to get there. And what Jesus is telling us is your hearts don't need to be troubled because you know the way and the way is me. Here's the second thing that it teaches is that we need to believe the truth. We need to believe the truth about heaven. Verses two and three say this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. There are two truths that we need to believe about heaven. Here's the first thing I want you to write down is that Jesus is preparing a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you. Jesus reinforces the fact that we can have peace as we walk through life because he hasn't left us high and dry. He's left us in order that he can go and prepare a place for us and he's gonna take us back with him. Not only is he going to prepare a place for us, he tells the disciple, I'm heading to my father's house. He says, I'm going home. And his home is going to become our home. Heaven, listen, heaven can often be talked about like it's this mystical fantasy place. This imaginary place, but Jesus teaches that heaven is a real place created by God for us to be in fellowship with him. C.S. Lewis once famously said this, that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The unfulfilled desire that exists in us is a reminder that heaven is real and that we were made for and created for something different. This world that we live in right now, this world is not our home. It is not our permanent home. This is a temporary place. The life we lead right now is just a small snapshot of what our reality is. Listen, I've got, like I just told you, three, three boys all under four. I know that the hours and the days are really, really long. I know that life can be difficult and challenging. I know that life can hurt. And we can find ourselves so focused on this world that we live in, the here and now, that we lose perspective of what our reality is. And that's that there's, a, there's an eternal place that Jesus is preparing for us. Let me try to illustrate it for you this way. I got this, this rope that I brought with me. And this would be just a snapshot of our lives. This, this little red piece right here. This is our right now, right? This is your career, this is your marriage, this is your childhood, this is your parenting, this is where you go to church. This is your life right now. If we're lucky, if we're good, if we eat good, stay healthy, maybe, what, 80, 90 years Maybe some of us will crest over 100. Some of us, we've lived, uh, we've lived the, uh, the good life, as they may say. And maybe this will be a little bit shorter, maybe closer to 50, 60 years, whatever it may be. Some men and women, as Sam mentioned this morning, faithfully gave their lives in service of our military and their life was cut short. But this, this represents our life. And we can get so focused on this right here. The 60, 70, 80 years of our lives that we forget that Jesus is preparing a place for us in eternity and that this is eternity. That the reality is that our lives is just but a snapshot of what is reality. And we spend all of our lives so focused on that 60 or 70 years that we forget there's an eternity behind it. An eternity that we've been called to live our life in preparation for. An eternity that we've been called to tell people about because the 60, 70, 80 years here on earth is but a moment in comparison to where Jesus is going and what he has created for us, the place that he is preparing for us. Here's the second truth that we need to believe in. It says, you can write this down, that Jesus will take you with him. 
that Jesus has gone to prepare a place and he's going to come back and he is going to take us with him. Look at verse three, he says this, and if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Here's the promise that Jesus is making to the disciples and in turn, he's making to Christ follower. I won't forget you. That I won't forget you. Now, now listen to me, I need to say that again because some of you this morning, you need to hear that. You need to hear Jesus say, I won't forget you. He wants you to know that, that he hasn't forgotten about you, that his promise to disciples is that I'm leaving, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna prepare a place so I can come back and take you with me. And he demonstrated that on the cross for us. It was Jesus going to the cross that prepares the place for his disciples. Without Jesus going to the cross, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no place for us to go because there's no forgiveness of sin. I was talking to a lady once about Jesus. And I was sharing my story with her. And and really the end goal was to share the gospel with her. As we got chatting through her story, she began to tell me about her life story. And this lady had a hard life. She lost both parents when she was young. She had step-parents. Her step-parents were both abusive. She left home when she was young. She moved in with an older sister. Didn't have much money. When she finally left her older sister's house, she got married to a guy who was an alcoholic. He was abusive. She lived this hard, hard life. But at some point in the course of that life, she had this encounter with Jesus. Oh, God. As I began to share the gospel with her and tell her about Jesus loving her and so on and so forth, she looked at me dead square in the eyes and she said, now, son, listen. I believe that for you. But I think Jesus has just forgotten about me. The heartache that she'd experienced led her to believe that Jesus had forgotten about her. And I, I have a tendency to believe that this lady isn't the only person who feels that way. That some of you have walked through incredibly difficult seasons of your life. Incredibly hard things, hurtful things, real things. And you've come out on the backside of those things and you would say, I don't know that Jesus sees me. I don't know that he remembers me. That I think that Jesus has forgotten about me. And this morning, I need you to hear the tenderness in his voice as he talks to his disciples and he tells them that I haven't forgot about you. I won't forget about you. I love you and I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna take you with me. Listen, if you know Jesus as the way, If you've committed your life to following him, he will come back and take you with him. Here's the third and final thing that I want you to write down this morning is this, is that we experience life. Jesus says in verse six that I am the way and the truth and the life, that when we know the way and believe in the truth that we will experience life. And herein lies one of the beauties of the gospel is that life is not just living and breathing, but experiencing life, having meaning, having purpose is not only offered to us in eternity, but it's offered to you and I right now. John 10, 27 through 28 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand, right? That's the promise of eternal life. But then Jesus promises that if we know him and believe in him as the way and the truth and the life, we'll experience life here on earth. John 10, 10 tells us that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've given you life and life abundantly. That there's an abundant life that we here and right now are supposed to experience. Heaven is more than a promise of something good later. 
Heaven's a present reality that should influence the way we live our lives right now today. The promise of heaven will allow us to experience eternal life with God, but it should allow us to experience the abundant life with God right now. Jesus says he's the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Heaven is a real place that should influence our daily lives because it's a reality that should draw us closer to Jesus. And as we draw close to Jesus, our lives can't help but change. And heaven is a reality that in the midst of, of challenging, difficult times, it should bring us comfort. It should bring us peace. Knowing that there's a plan. Knowing that in the midst of all this chaos that we so often live in, that it's going to be okay. That this life is just temporary. So listen, maybe this morning, maybe you know that you're a follower of Christ, but you found yourself just, just white-knuckling your way through life, hunkering down and just holding on, waiting on the hope of this promise of heaven. Jesus wants so much more for you. Jesus wants you to live your life in such a way that you live an abundant life, that someone would look at the way you live your life and say, I want what he has. I want what she has. I want to live my life like them. My encouragement to you this morning will be to allow the reality of heaven, the fact that, that there is a plan to bring you great encouragement and great peace. But I also know that for some of you that are listening this morning, maybe this is the very first time you've heard of, of the reality that there, there is only one way to heaven. This exclusive statement that Jesus would make that he'd say, I am the way and the only way. Maybe you walked in this morning or maybe you're watching online and you would say, man, I, I thought I just had to be good to make it. I thought I was doing all these good things, but you've just said that Jesus is the only way. My encouragement for you this morning is would you just take time, would you begin to ask God to show you where you are spiritually? Like, and I know that can be a little bit of a daunting question for us to ask, but I know and believe that God will answer that question. Would you go before the Lord and would you just say, God, where am I? and allow God to speak to you and show you where you're at. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.